Hey everyone, it's Naomi and welcome to the Firecracker Department. All right, I have been humming and hawing and hawing and humming. Why don't they say that the other way? Humming and hawing, hawing and humming. Hmm. Anyway, I have been thinking about what to say for my, my little personal message that uh, usually goes in at the top of these episodes. And here's the thing. I don't know. <laughs> I got a lot going on in my heart and in my brain. It was a pretty heavy, grievy week for me, and I'm kind of processing it. And uh, maybe because it's tax season, so I'm going through my father's and my mom's tax stuff. And because I'm doing that, I'm kind of faced with a reminder that they've passed away. So not easy. So I'm kind of, I don't even know what to say around that. To be honest, I just, uh, I know I have to process it. So I don't have a lot to say right now, other than it's been a bit tough, and I hope that you're all getting through the weeks. I feel like something, and our head of wellness department, Emily Churchill, could talk about this. There's something in the moon, because I feel like a lot of people have been having a tough week. Has that been tough for you too? Just people that are stuck, or people that are frustrated, or sad, or um, just dealing with pandemic fatigue. I think there's a lot going on. And so I'll tell you this, look after yourself, go for a walk, do something physical. Don't get slumpy. <laughs> Don't get slumpy. That's right. I said slumpy. Don't get slumpy and get into the couch and pretend you're healing yourself. Do something, call a friend, create some art, just uh, look after yourself. And, um, I just want to let you know you're not alone. It's been tough for a lot of people, myself included. Speaking of getting slumpy, have you seen I Hate Susie? It's a great series. It's another BBC series. And uh, if you haven't seen it, it's exciting because the acting is so good. It was uh, created by Billy Piper and Lucy Preble. And uh, Billy Piper is also the lead. Not only is the acting so exciting and bold, but it's also so surprising. So you think you see where the story is gonna go, and then it goes a totally different way. And the lead, uh, Susie Pickles, great name, first of all, Susie Pickles, uh, is so captivating and so deeply flawed. And I love that. I love seeing especially female characters, because I feel like there was a time when female characters were supposed to not be flawed, which is hilarious. But here's the thing for me, is that the more we expose our flawedness, I don't know if that's a word, I'm saying it is, the more it's relatable. Like, if I wrote a beautiful script about, about a girl who was on a journey, and then she got there, and the end, Nobody likes that. It's too perfect and so unrelatable. So the more we see flawed people, if you're writing something, make them flawed. Make them rough around the edges. Uh, and it's so much more connectable for folks, myself included. So if you haven't seen it, I Hate Susie. Big, big shout out to them. Hey, funny enough, speaking of shout outs, I got a shout out for you. Okay, this is something that's fairly new with Firecracker Department, and if you've got a shout-out, please send it to firecrackerdepartment at gmail.com. Include your name, the person you're shouting out, and a couple of their handles, and why you love them so much. That's important, 
because I need to know what makes these folks so great. Speaking of great, oh my gosh, Alyssa Abler, who is one of our core members. Alyssa does so much for our core. Not only does Alyssa contribute to the firecracker department journey that we are on, she's also a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful musician. And if you haven't checked out her band, The Daily Fair, you must, at The Daily Fair. Uh, she and her partner, Hannah, are just incredible. And uh, boy, the firecracker department is a huge fan of these artists. So here is a shout out from our pal, Alyssa Abler. Hey everyone, my name's Alyssa, or Liss, and I host Brunch with the Firecracker Department on Sunday mornings over on Zoom. I also help out with the website and the graphics department. Today I wanted to shout out my friend Caitlin Rouse, who is someone that I've known since college. She's a dancer and photographer, and she's one of the most positive people that I think I've ever met, even if she's having a rough day or something of that nature. She's always willing to talk about it and to be open, and I appreciate so much her focus on the balance of mental health and communication and it's been really cool to see her grow and to be part of that journey over the past several years so if you want to check out her work you can find her at caitlin rouse photography on instagram.com or you can check her out on tiktok at caitlin rouse and that's my firecracker shout out go check out at the daily fair on your socials and find out all about their music and where you can see them next and hear them next. Uh, you can also follow Alyssa at winter underscore thistle. Okay, on to the guest of the Firecracker Department podcast. This week is Danish documentary film producer, Sarah Stockman. Now, Sarah is the founder of Sontag Pictures and has produced over, check this out, 25. She has produced over 25 international feature documentary films. Holy moly, what an amazing body of work. She is a member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science, you know, the Oscars, have you heard of that? Mm-hmm. Now, she's an active member of the Academy's documentary branch, and since 2013, she's been the chairperson of the Documentary Council at the Danish Film Institute. Sarah has received accolades for her films all over the world at Cannes, Tribeca, Amsterdam, the Emmys. And of course, speaking of the Oscars, this year, Sarah received an Oscar nomination for Avira Lynn's short film, The Letter Room, where she acted as associate producer. Now, this film looks like my jam. I can't wait to see it. The Letter Room cannot wait. Needless to say, she's busy. The amount of work she's done is staggering, and she is such a... I mean, you can just tell from chatting with her, she's such a hands-on producer, and uh, I mean, she's just the coolest person to talk to. I so enjoyed chatting with her, and um, this is one of those moments where I'm seeing the positive in COVID, because I would not have had a chance to speak to Sarah. You know, we were doing all our interviews in person, and Sarah's in Copenhagen, so this would not have happened. So this was extraordinary. Um, Sarah also has a Master of Arts from the University of Copenhagen and the University of Amsterdam. For the last four years, Sarah's been running a workshop in Cairo for young Egyptian women filmmakers hosted by Between Women Filmmakers Cairo. It's extraordinary. She's extraordinary. She's been all over the world making a difference through film and storytelling. And I just, 
I just love her style. I know you will too. Sontag Pictures, her production company, focuses on cinematic, auteur-driven documentaries which combine artistic nerve with globalized social perspectives. Sarah's films spark debates in society, internationally. You speak with Sarah and she sparks. Listen to this interview and I challenge you not to be sparked. She's also a mother, a twin, and just an absolute overall firecracker. Okay. I won't take up any more time talking about her. Let's talk to her. Let me share my conversation with producer Sarah Stockman. I would love to kind of go back a little bit and talk about what led you to this role as a producer storyteller. Because I can tell with your work, you're not somebody who produces from afar. You produce from within. Well, first I have to say, Thank you so much for the invitation. And uh, I was really, um, I'm a big fan already because I listened to, uh, I didn't know about the podcast, but then I Mm -hmm. started to listen and I really enjoyed uh, the community and the sense of sharing. And, and so it's really, and, and, um, and then I became a bit anxious because as a documentary producer being in the limelight is really not something that you do you push the director and the film and the subject on stage and you keep in the background but um yeah but But this is so uh, exciting for me because of that yeah it's great it's great because there isn't a lot of opportunities that documentary producers documentary filmmakers even yeah but let's like right. find out there's so many people in our community right. that are passionate about producing right. so this will be great yeah. but I, I also i have this mantra i live by that i share with my twin sister where if there's anything we are afraid of we have to do it and if i'm really anxious yeah. i call her and she says she says life is short you're 47 lean in and the yeah. And I called her earlier today and she said that to me. So then I'm here, I'm leaning in. Has that, so, <laughs> that's, but, a lo- that's a fantastic thing. Has that served you in your life to always have that I think kind actually, of like, maybe going like back to your question, film. how I started in documentary Please. films, because I, I worked with uh, distribution before that. I, I, I think I was around 25 when I, I came from theater and I was a dancer and then mm. I started Ah, okay that tells me a lot it was a smooth step into the film business because theater Mm -hmm. and films are a bit equal but then I worked with uh, feature films and acquisition and distribution for like seven years and I managed a small like independent distribution company but then I think it was around 2004 in Cannes something happened you know Michael Mm -hmm. Moore won the golden palms with the Fahrenheit yes. 11 which I yep. mean it's not my favorite film uh, but there was something around documentary film that sort of took the scene uh, I think also it was ah. a lot of things happened in the world at that time and it just seemed um, for me like to work with something that could sort of reflect what was going on in the world um, and uh, I fell in love with the genre, you know, because it's mm. documentary film is this art form that blends reality and storytelling and visual arts. So, so I just, I took a decision almost from one day to the mm-hmm. other. And I called a friend's mother who was like the grand old woman in Danish documentary films. Okay. And I said, 
I don't want to work in distribution anymore. I want to produce documentary films. And yeah. she was like, come, come for a cup of tea. And I had a cup of tea and then I started the next day. Um, so that's and, so exciting. And I never, and I never looked back. Yeah. And, uh, but I think um, going back to where it all came from, I was, when I was uh, a kid, when I was like 12 years old, I was sitting in my room, teenage room, writing letters to all the dictators in the world. Like I actually wrote a, yeah. a letter to Saddam Hussein, like, like no. saying, you have to stop suppress uh, people in, in Iraq. And my twin sister was just like, you know, we are, we are very similar. If something happens, it can, you know, they can come after me and look for us. But, uh, but I was, I had this, I, I was very young. I, I felt that I had to do, I had to create some kind of change with, with my work. Um, wow. So I think I'm, I'm, well, I'm how a, old were you? I think I was 11, 12. It oh did, my I, God. I mean, it, it didn't work, but I did send a lot of letters to Saddam Hussein. <laughs> no kidding. That's a whole other, that's a whole other documentary. Because yeah. right now, are you in Copenhagen right now? Yeah, I'm in Copenhagen. I was brought up here in Copenhagen. Uh, and then I studied ah, okay. in Amsterdam for, for a while. Gotcha. But I'm, I'm Denmark. Yeah, I've actually been to Copenhagen. And, yeah, did you uh, like spent it? some time. Yeah, in Denmark. I loved it. I loved it. I went there um, with my family when I was little. And then many years later, we went back to uh, Denmark for for some improv festivals and uh, Amsterdam, and I just loved it, loved it, yeah. loved it. So my question is: So you're 11 years old, but there's something that has um, lit a fire for you to write letters to Saddam Hussein. Mm. Where did that come from? Because I guarantee you, not every 11, 12 year old is thinking about changing the world. No. Actually, you know, because I have a twin sister and we were raised, uh, you know, the same, I think, uh, I think, I mean, she's a journalist. And um, mm. so we both had that urge to do something. Uh, but, but I think I was just like, I don't know where it came from. I think I was raised by a mother, single mother, and uh, she was very much into politics and had very, she was very... Mm -hmm opinionated and had, had strong political views so I'm sure some something came from her mm -hmm. yeah mm. so um what do you think how do you think it influenced you living in Copenhagen I mean you said you went into distribution originally so mm. did you fight the idea of filmmaking for a while and thought oh I'll do something that might be a little, little bit more safer and do distribution and then eventually went no I have to talk about things in the world how did that story happen for you yeah, i thought I was, I was really attracted to work with uh film and uh, i had this detour in the i really wanted to study film but my grades weren't that you, to, to be able to go to film school or university in in copenhagen you had to have really great um grades but i then i i i could actually uh, I was admitted to uh, theater studies and I also work with theater. So I, I think I took like a detour and then um, yeah. I met this woman working with distribution and I asked her, so could I be your intern? Um, and she said, yeah, just uh, <laughs> come combine to two weeks. And then I went to meet her and she's, and, and she wasn't there anymore because she had moved to Berlin. But the, the, the manager of the company said, well, that's not 
but still very relevant. But you have to, uh, if you can like fill in and do her job. And I was like, I can do that. And I, I mean, I just came right out of <laughs> university and I was like, and I remember I was sitting in the office and they had Mac computers and I had never seen a Mac computer before at that point. And I was just like, how do you turn this on? And I was just like, I didn't even know how to yeah. turn on the computer, but I just had this idea that this is, I just have to do it. And I, they, they shouldn't yeah. uh, see how insecure I was. And I remember them showing me this poster, this artwork. It was a Paul Schrader film. Um, and, and they were just like, so what's your take on the Danish campaign? This is the, uh, the international campaign. So we expect that you have uh, some ideas about how to launch this in, uh, in Denmark and position the film. And I was like, yeah, it's totally wrong that the poster is red. It has to be orange. And they were just like, Ooh. all right, yeah. Um, but there was also, there was also, I think, um, there was also a lot of people at this that time. It was just around uh, two thousand where a lot of stuff happened in the Danish film business. So it was this golden age where everything was possible. And I think because I was part yeah. of that, I was sort of, it was like a wave of good energy. Um, yeah. And I remember I was working on a Lars von Trier film, Dance in the Dark, uh, which was. Uh, produced by um, Vibeke Venelo, a, a female producer who had yes. produced a lot of uh, mm -hmm. his film. And I was like, maybe I was 29, and I was just like asked to be uh, managing the international campaign of the film. And I was invited out to a meeting wow. with Vibeke, and I had never met her before. And I was so scared. And I remember like being asked to sit down in front of her and like laying out the, the campaign strategy. Mm -hmm. And I remember how she looked at me. And I think that was the first time where I felt that my age and my, that I was a woman, it, it didn't matter. She was just looking yeah. at me and she was like interested in what I had to say and my mm -hmm. strategy. And for me, that was really a turning point. Like something is happening. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't have to, and I should not work double hard. I mean, I have a voice and I yes. have to, I mean, and I also, I, I just have to sort of um, turn off all the insecurity going on in me. Like, um, yeah that I'm not allowed to be here, that I'm not allowed to have this space and a chair at this meeting. Um, mm -hmm. Because especially at that time, you know, being part of a, a board, you were the only woman. Um, now it has changed a bit, still not equal, but you know, so, so I had this experience. For me, that was, that was actually a turning point in my life. And I have never told her. And I actually thought the other day that I should tell her that it really, yeah. uh, it meant a lot because like the, that the way she looked at me, mm -hmm. it was like, it was such a big relief. Yeah, I so understand that feeling of, of somebody seeing you mm -hmm. for the strength that you know that you have. Yeah. And then that just kind of giving you the confidence to put it forward because right. I think 
I think you're right. I mean, your, your twin sister's very right about the things that scare you. You have to lean in. Mm. But that doesn't come without effort and fear. So right. how, do you, how do you balance that? Because so, it feels like you have uh, addressed fears along the way just by, hello, I'd like to be an intern. Hello, I'd like yeah. to make documentaries. You're very bold and brave. Where do you mm. think that comes from for you, Sarah? I don't think I can answer that. Um, I, I think it's it's just a matter of if you start accepting and that fear should take over, then it's just that's not an option, you know. It's yeah, yeah. Yes, because no, it's not yeah. an option. And then, of course, uh, no, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I get that. At the moment, in in the world, I think that. Um, Reality is being reshaped and and uh, facts are being rejected, you know, with the whole like political scene and the social media uh, environment. So mm -hmm. so that's the sense of like having a shared reality and and putting something out in the world, still wanting to to sort of uh, create change and uh, start a dialogue. I think that's just. I mean, it's something that keeps me going. Um, I so understand. That's so funny that you're talking about that right now, Sarah, because I was just, um, I was journaling this morning and I was talking to myself about fears. And I think something you just said resonates so much with me about, like, you just have to get on with it because yeah. our voice and our dreams are stronger than those fears. Because if we, if we don't, we're going to live yeah. in this, I'm going to live in the corner just being right. scared all the time. And that's not an option, yeah. right? No, no, exactly. And what's, what's the worst thing that can happen? I, I, I have a, a, a very close friend. She's a surgeon. Mm -hmm. And if she has a really bad day at, at her job, I mean, people yeah. are in danger. Die. So I'm, I'm yeah. often talking to her and, and saying like, okay, but I, I, I mean, it's vanity in a way. When we do something yeah. and it's a bad day at the office, nobody is killed. And mm -hmm. uh, in my office, we often say that to each other, like, come on, nobody was killed today, you know? Um, Sarah, we say the same thing. I said, <laughs> we're, not, we're not heart surgeons. Yeah. We're not trying to like, nobody's going to miss uh, uh, the no. delivery of an organ. Right. We're just trying to make some art and it's important, but right. we can't make it, no. you know, like that. No. I mean, if you're, if you're surgery, you're important. kind of saying that. Right. Yeah. 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 And I know it's important to our hearts and it's important to the world. Um, but there has to be, I don't know, for me, I don't create from a place of fear. It doesn't yeah. work for me. I don't create from a place of nervousness and lacking confidence. So if I can just calm things down, I create so much more fluidly. It's like, right. I'm sure you found this with dancing. Right. Yeah, actually, yeah. And I, I know that you, you've been awarded for, for improvisation. So yes. I, I'm sure that because you, I mean, if you can't improvise, if you're afraid, I guess. And, and I, no. I, I, my being a dancer, I, earlier, I, of course, I knew that, but I would actually love to know how to, to take that quality into my life more and more now yeah. as well. Yeah. I know. I know. I don't have any answers, but I do know that when I get scared, I stop breathing. 
And I danced for a little bit, probably not to your level, but I know my biggest issue was my, my dancing instructors were always like, will you breathe? Will you bend your knees and plie? Will you breathe? And so that doesn't help. And if you don't breathe, you stop living. So it has to be connected to that. Right. Oh, I think that's so interesting. Like we're, we're doing important things, but it's not the end of the world. No. So when you, when you turn the corner and you thought I need to, put my voice into documentaries because I think this is a really important thing to share with folks is the step into producing rather than holding a camera or uh, directing or writing or what other aspects you can bring to a documentary film crew you chose producing can you tell me about that step a little bit yeah well producing documentary films I, it's really different than working with scripted films and fiction yeah uh, and I worked with that before and and I think working with documentary films you really have to bless the mess and I think that's not for everyone um, yeah because you know I've never experienced that a production plan actually was the plan there was just like right. a new plan and a new plan and a new plan and yeah. but for me I, I enjoy that um and I think I enjoy it because then it's, you know, then I can all also be able to change the plan. You know, that's something that's, it's chaotic, but, and, and starting a film, we like, we, we put one step in front of the other, like, and we are hoping that we will succeed with them, something, but we never know where the journey will end. Um, right. And of course, during, during that journey, there's always like doubts and crises and do we have a film at all? When you succeed in like having this close collaboration with your director and often also the editor, the right. cinematographer, then, you know, you, we are in it together. Yeah. And, um, and often some of the films are being edited for a long period of time. And in that period, sort of the script comes together uh, even though we have fundraised fundraised and and uh, and made all the finances and decision makers sure that we have everything in control we have a film and then and then it's in the editing room that it sort of it comes together and mm -hmm. the film is born and that process is like something that I think is very unusual compared to other kind of um film genres uh yeah so so i think it's yeah it's messy and it's chaotic but it's also so inspiring because you don't know yeah. where you will end um and and sometimes it it's not a success and sometimes right. you don't succeed with the plan but most times you're surprised that we actually started here and now we, we are here. That's something that I, I really, really enjoy with working with documentary films. Yeah, you're, then, it's almost like you're an improviser filmmaker because yeah. you, you start, yeah. I know a little bit in the world of documentary where you say, this is our thesis statement. But exactly. unlike films where you know it's a beginning, middle and an end, you don't have a beginning, no. you have no. a exactly. beginning. And yeah. then you seem like the kind of creative person that wants to be in from the beginning as far as the creative process going. 
And, and how do you choose your projects to be involved with? Well, I think I, I use my intuition and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I have this post-it note on my computer that says, um, when it feels wrong, it's wrong. And I really try to look at that. <laughs> and it's like, it's so, it's such a cliche and it's not very deep. I don't think we listen to our instincts enough. No. I think no. if we checked in with our instincts and our gut more often, we would be much more on track with what our, our goals are. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, but for me that, you know, that, that I really, I, I have to feel the director's vision and I really have to move me on a very deep level. Yeah. Because when I say yes to a project, then I, I don't quit. Then I'm so, and I know it will be difficult, but that, you know, initial yeah. meeting between a director and me, where it's just like, I really, really feel it, you know, and then I shake hand with, with the, the director. And then it's like, then, then now we're in war together. Now, now we will, yeah. I'll make sure that, we can finance this and we'll, and, and we'll there'll be a, a film at some point because also financing is it's it's hard because you're questioned all the time and there's in all projects there are weak a lot of weak points and uh, and uh, you just have to be so confident on the base of that project and also like being standing beside the director and, and really uh, making sure that even though there's maybe there's you apply for 10 film funds and you talk to 15 broadcasters and no one can actually see the idea and then some and then, right. then suddenly you know there's one and then there's the next and then there's yeah. so it's just like but but this like choosing a project for me is like really spending time really understanding the director and the vision and of course, when I've worked mm -hmm. with a director before, I'm I'm more uh, confident that that the collaboration will be um, yes will be yeah. Have you ever ignored your instincts and found yourself in the middle of a project that you were like, oh, I gotta I've gotta get away from this one? What was that like? There was actually there was uh, there was a project I worked on uh, which was uh, it was very hyped and. I took it over from another uh, producer who uh, who couldn't raise the money. But then I I started on the project, and it was this Sundance awarded director, and you know it, there was a lot of buzz around it. But then one day I remember I was meditating, and I was just like, you know, looking into to like finding answers. And then I had this voice in my head that said, "Let it go." let it go. And I was just like, that doesn't make sense. And I was just like, is it because my daughter is uh, recently has really listened a lot to, you know, the Elsa song, let it go, let it go. Is that the part? <laughs> it, it's just, and I was just like, and I was like, it doesn't make sense that I should actually let this project go because um, I had just opened my company and, and it was just like, it was, invited to all the pitching forums and but actually I it started very well and there was a lot of buzz but it became very difficult and in the end my company was summoned in court because of a lot of mess uh, and it ended up fine but there was so much trouble and in a way it wasn't worth it if I have to look back it wasn't worth it yeah so 
I think after that, I really tried to listen to the intuition and, uh, and also mm -hmm. let it go. It was actually meant, it wasn't, it wasn't my daughter's cartoon song. It was actually right. my inner voice saying, let it go. Yeah, that's hard to do, I think, to let things go, especially like for folks like you that, you know, you just said, if you start a project, you want to see it through. You're yeah. not going to give up. So to know when it's time to let it go because it's, it's creatively healthier, yeah. that must have been really hard for you. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but I think sometimes it, I mean, to be really stubborn and if there's like a really, a relationship and a collaboration in your team and with a director that is really not healthy, I think mm -hmm. it can be a relief to like say it out loud. That's something I've yeah. tried to do like recently, instead of like trying to just like, we have to, we have to make this work. We have to make this work, but, but actually like sitting down saying like, let's just be honest. This is not going well. Yeah. And uh, yeah. we, it's, it's difficult for us to work together. Um, yeah. How should we manage this situation? And for me, it, it yes. took a while before I thought that I could actually say that. Because as a producer, you have this role that you have to, everything, you just have to make all the process like be painless. And um, yeah. as a producer, you should, you should not have a voice in that. You should almost not have any feelings. You know, you should just be this machine that keeps the production uh, running. Uh, but actually being able to say like, listen, it's, I, I don't enjoy this. It's not yeah. good for, yeah. Yeah, but that probably makes you a much more um, connected producer. I don't know. I would much rather work with a producer that cares about the project, like somebody that's just phoning from their office. Right. Yeah. I, and for yeah. me, it's also, it's, that's the only way I can be a producer. Um, I, mm -hmm. I'm not a, I'm not a producer that, that is only involved in part of the process. Yeah. Because it's, it's not that fun, you know, it's like, yeah. you want to be also part of the team and also it's so much easier to make the right decisions when you have to make decisions, when you, when you are part of this, the, the story of the project. I don't think I don't think people got involved in film or the arts because they want to work by themselves either. I think we all want to work together. Right. So the yeah. more that, you know, the more that, you know, we share the the sandbox, so to speak. I think right. the more people have ownership on their projects too. Yeah. Yes, you know, creatively. I I, I have um I have questions about some of your projects, and I, I was kind of thinking because the body of work that you've created in the last. 20 years is incredible you just seem to have a very uh you seem to choose projects that have a wildness about them whether it's a uh, dance or festivals or or music or war if there's a wildness and i wondered if i can talk to you about different projects and you can let me know maybe what the lesson you learned from each project that you carried for so for that one of your first projects was um, tell me if i'm saying this right roskilde right yeah Tell me, I know, I know a little bit about it from research, but tell me what, because that was one of your first documentaries that you produced. Tell me what the biggest learning uh, moment was from that. It was a film that, uh, that 
were, it was difficult to finance it and people had tried to do that for a couple of years. And then uh, I think I just, I just came to the project uh, at the right moment because it was one of my first documentary films and I felt that I have to prove that I can do this. Right, so, right, right. So I just put all my energy into it. And, uh, and because I had worked with the distribution before and uh, feature films, I think there was this idea that then it might have, and that it, it might be able to succeed as this theatrical uh, success. So I just, just like, I tried to combine all my know-how from that. Yeah. And then, then I, I mean, it's a, it's a film about a Danish a music festival like this legendary the Danish Woodstock you could say um, yeah and when working with uh, music rights that was something you know it's, it's oh nobody wants gosh. to do it it's like really it's and and after when after completing the film I was just like I'll never do that again <laughs> no, and then I've done it like again and again and again yeah. so so for me it was like I, I learned it and from yeah. every time I work with a film, I try to, I mean, working with music rights, it's like, and I, I, I forget it from time to time. So, so it's not like, like it's easier on the next film. And now with Seven Years of right. Lucas Graham, it's, again, it's a film with a lot of yeah. music. So, so I think it's, it's sort of helped me point in, in a direction where I, I, I had a lot of respect for working with with the music in film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. All right, that's a good one. I mean, you learned that headache early, so even if I it's still a headache, headache now, at least you know yes. Yes. <laughs> you know what you were getting into. Exactly. What about yeah. Mercy Mercy? Yeah. I know that was later on yeah. in your career, um, 2012, but that was all about adoption. Um, yes. was, that a, was that more involved emotionally for you? Because I can imagine that was a different story to tell than something like a music festival, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a film that succeeded in changing the legislation in Denmark so that the adoption system, which had been really uh, both corrupt, but also ethically very not correct. Uh, it was actually changed. It was a film that sort of changed that. Uh, so yeah. for me, that was, that was one of the first film where we could see that one thing is the film and creating like uh, a documentary film, but but the impact uh, campaign mm -hmm. and the and the work surrounding the film could be just as powerful. Um, it yeah. was also um, it was also very, of course, emotionally tough because uh, the film is very disturbing because you see. An adoption from the point of view of the children, and it was an adoption that that didn't go well. So, mm -hmm. so, um, so that was that. That was another genre, but like, and but I, I actually continued working with um, films that did have a political impact from that. Yes. So that sort of um, opened up another door for me. Uh, Violently in Love was a yeah. film that was shot in a, in a in a center for women subjected to uh, to domestic violence, and that film also uh, succeeded. It was part of this bigger campaign in Denmark where we were able to 
changed the legislation in Denmark, so psychological violence was is now punished by law. And um, right. so that was that moment where we were like showing the film uh, for the justice department in the justice ministry. And the minister was just, she was making a speech saying that 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 film was actually part of, of his decision to, uh, to pose these new uh, laws in Denmark. That was like, of course, a big moment. Um, but of course, wow. these, these films also comes with a price. I know that I have to mix these kind of films with other films and other stories because you can't. I was going to say, yeah. it's yeah. too much. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you can see that with your career too, that you have, it's, it's those kind of intense movies that change the world, but it's also other movies, probably you know, similarly uh, intense, but uh, different, you have to mix it up. Did you know when you were making something like Mercy Mercy, that you knew it was going to have that kind of impact? I think we, we knew quite early that the material we, we had was like really, really powerful. So that was, we were also really humble and, and, uh, and, and we also knew that we really had to be very careful. And there's also this, you know, when working with vulnerable subjects and here it was children it comes with such a huge ethical responsibility but that's for me that's also part of uh, my job to be able to secure time in the editing phase and making sure you don't take any fast decisions so yeah so making sure that you have this that the work that has to be done has been done properly um, also with oh, the um, with the film about uh, women and children and domestic violence. I mean, you can't be in a rush to release a film. You just really need to know that every detail is in place, and then you can sleep well at night. But else, it's just like it's. And uh, I think that's such a hugely valid point to make because I think as as creators, we sort of are impatient as well. Right. At least I am. And yeah. I think, you know, when you have an idea, I want to share it with the world as fast as mm. possible. And to yeah. take moments, especially with things like Violently in Love or Mercy mm. Mercy, if you rush it, it's not, it's not being respectful no. to the subject matter. No. Yeah. Yeah. There can be, you know, in the process, there can be a lot of tough dilemmas. But if you have time, you know, and you know that you have like, all details have been discussed and you don't take any decision because there's someone on your back. I mean, that's, and you, you are totally in sync with your team. Then, I mean, you can, you can, you can survive a process like that and like really yeah, get I mean, good counseling. And I've, I've often tell people I work also directors. I, that are not, directors I work with directly that they should really remember to have to prioritize to have supervision uh, when working with films that are tough because everyone forgets mm -hmm. that you know it's like you're a director and you've been through a very hard process but we need that sensitive eye and we need that sensitivity on the next project so um, did you find yourself gosh this has a whole other level of pressure with the, the armadillo film. 
um, right. with the Afghanistan when you followed six soldiers into the war. Yeah. Um, uh, what was that process like? And was there anything surprising about it? Did you film that and then along the way realize that the story had changed? Well, I was, um, the team had been in Afghanistan for a period of six months. And then uh, it was, it was the director, Janus Metz, uh, had called me during that process and asked me to come on board as a producer. I was at another company at that point. And then in the end, I went to the company and I saw some of the raw footage. And I knew immediately that this would be like a turning point when that material came out, because at that point in, in Denmark, we had this uh, idea that our present in Afghanistan was like, it was all about building schools for children and making sure that Afghan women had a voice, but mm -hmm. the images and the footage were actually revealing that we were a nation in, in war and it was brutal and it was much more complicating than the press stories coming out of the, the, the war ministry. So for me, it was just like, uh, for me, in a way, it was also a shock. I think watching that footage, I think right. I, I actually got a shock. So, but, but yeah. I wasn't doubting that I wanted to step into that process. Um, and, and the team around the project was really ambitious and we knew that we had to have the film ready for Cannes. So it's just like, we, it was just, it, it felt actually as a very organic process. It was also really, really tough, but, but there was something in that process that made so much sense. Um, so, um, and then being able to release the film in Cannes because we had to get it away from the Danish press. It had the impact that it, that it should have. Um, and that's 10 years ago. Yeah. Just that's a year. lot of pressure yeah. that's a lot of pressure yeah and it and also well well worth it because it affected so many people i know you you won an emmy the, the team won an emmy mm. award for it yeah. and it did it did make changes in the world like it again it's something that you put together that uh, had an impact right yeah exactly and but also um i think it also had an impact because it was cinema because it, you know, it documentary right. is an art form. So there were, there had been a mm -hmm. lot of news reportages from the war. And but but it sort of, you know, it didn't give a face to the Afghan civil population. But that film, because it is actually built like a very classical narrative, it sort of it it had yes. an emotional impact. I'm actually looking at the poster from France, uh, and they they write uh, translated from from French, it's like, to you, um, to you, it's, it's uh, cinema, for them, it's reality. So like, yeah, it, it was like yes. cinema. And uh, to be able to connect it to, like I said that. earlier, like, like documentary, when it's really, when it's really working, and when it's really successful, and everything comes together, it's when it's like, reality, storytelling, and visual arts. And I think, for me, at least, Amadillo was Amadillo was a process where that that just it came together.
being in a process like that as a team, then you're like connected forever, you know? Um, it's like, yeah. it's like you're, yeah. you're in family together. Uh, you, and yeah. and it, it actually, it's difficult to work together again because it will, it will not be the same. Um, right. But you, you're sort of bound together yeah. by destiny. It almost feels like that. I know it sounds a bit uh, crazy maybe, but it's... No, I have to say, I mean, speaking with you, I've never made a documentary film, but I'm, I see it in a whole other light now. Like I see the story that you can tell about somebody else, but I also see the value of approaching it in a cinematic way because the, the Armadillo film is like that. You watch it going, wow, these actors are incredible. Right. And then you realize, right. oh, these aren't actors. Yeah. And yeah. it's... But it, so it's shocking on two levels, but it hits yeah. your heart so much deeper then. Right. Um, and can I, yeah. I need to speak to you about the Bobby Jen yeah. film as well, because I yeah. feel like that must have been one of the, the closest to home for you because it was about a dancer. Right. right. Um, and again, it was, you know, there's, there's documentaries about dancers and yet that film looks so much deeper than just the story of an artist. Right. Can you tell yeah. me what, that process of working on that project? Actually, I, I tried not to work with documentaries about dance. I, my ex-husband is a classical ballet dancer and I had been working. I, I was a dancer myself previously, like modern dance. And, and one of my other first films was about dance. And I had this like, I'm not working with yeah. documentaries <laughs> about dance. And then there was this um, a young producer who called me saying like, I have actually I have a bit of support for this film, the Vera Lynn's film. Uh, can I produce it together? Should I come to your office? And I was like, no, I'm not into dance documentaries at all. And then she was just like, well, maybe we can just have a cup of coffee and I can, uh, yeah, can I just step by your office? And then she came and we had a coffee and then she was just like, now when I'm here, can I show you this footage? And I saw some of the footage and I was just like, oh shit, okay. Uh, yeah. We have to talk about this because, you know, Elvira Lynn, she's like, she's so talented. And yeah. she's, she has this ability of like diving in with the characters and, um, and uh, she'll be a director I'll work with forever. Um, she's so inspiring yeah. and so talented. You can tell um, you have a deep connection to this movie. Did that leapfrog? Because all these documentaries in your resume and then suddenly out of nowhere, there's um, the, letters, yeah, the letter right. room that also yes. Vera Lynn also yes. directed. And was that because you knew that your collaboration partnership was so strong that you're like, I'll just, I'll work, whatever you say. If you want to bake a cake, I'll help you produce yeah. it. Actually, it, she, yeah. she, there's a, a producer, a American producer on the film, Sophia Bild. Uh, so I'm not the producer on that film, but Elvira was just like, everything I do, you have to be part of it. So I'm associate yeah. producer. And I think it's the, it's the, easiest credit I have received on anything uh, but I, I think I read the script I saw some of the cuts and I gave notes and uh, so but but she's just like everything I work with we have to be together yeah. and now we have an, a new project together we have a new uh, yeah. actually a new uh, Bobby Jean 2 we are doing together and um, so I think She's one of the directors. I, I, she could come with a film about an elephant with one leg, and I would say, I'll produce that. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah, yeah I'm but in. I understand that. Like, yeah, 
so many of my discussions are all about finding your people, right? Yeah, like finding okay. the finding your team, whether it's in your family or whether it's right. your chosen yeah. family. So yeah. finding your people with somebody like Elvira Lynn, you're like, yeah. it, it's a no brainer yeah. because it's going to okay. be such a yeah. valuable, worthwhile and and uh, rewarding experience. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about her? I think she's is both very sensitive and she can feel her she has a, a an ability to like making sure that every everyone in her team uh, is fine and she's she has this ability that everyone can be their best uh, both creatively and as a human being and then she's just so dedicated and hardworking. she's like a machine uh, you know she moves in with her subjects and uh, she just keeps on going um, and yeah. uh, and aesthetically she has this super sensitive eye that is like so unique uh, so everything she touches yeah. is beautiful and funny i bet she's funny too because the the yeah. letter room's comment yeah we, yeah we we laughed a lot yeah, i'm so um, excited yeah. for that movie that's just it with documentaries it's not like um you know your start date is here and your end date is here your start yeah. date is here and who knows how long the story will will take and as right. you said like eventually the story shows up and you're like yeah. i think we've got a story now right um right. that that takes experience and confidence did you i, I want to hear a little bit mm -hmm. about the seven years of lucas graham yeah. and how that project were you in the middle of that project when you realized what the story was and was there anything about his journey that surprised you? I think it, it, it's, I mean, we worked very intensely in the editing room in order to find the uh, story. Right. Um, and I think there was a lot that, of footage, I bet. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of footage, but also, um, you know, there was the, you know, it was very obvious that, you know, there was this character-driven story about almost a boy and his, um, development into like this international global artist but we also felt that there, there was something more um, and I think we had to I think we, we spent uh, first six months in the editing room and we had a cut that we were just like mm, well it's kind of nice but you know it's not like really amazing and and then we actually just continued yeah. uh, and continued and and then in the end I think we we felt that we had it was bigger story about loss and identity and and deeper existentialistic questions and and because we started to feel that, that there is something to the story in that we just continued and now i'm happy that we did that but of course along the way it was just yeah. like there was a lot of doubt and it was also it was difficult um, it wasn't it wasn't an easy film to make even though it might look yeah why and uh, why wasn't it easy? What, what made it difficult? I think it was like um, to find the bigger story, um, but, but we knew that it was there. Mm -hmm. So, but it just took a lot of time yeah. in the editing room. And sometimes it's, I mean, it, yeah. it's, sometimes it seems like it's the film that decides, you know, it's like children, they have their own yeah. temper and, uh, and you can sort of try to control them and uh, sometimes the film is finished when it's finished i mean yeah and uh, it just needed more time and now we now we are 
we can say that we know we have we found the best story in the project and uh, yeah and it was released in the cinemas in Denmark just in the period where the cinemas were open now they're closed again so we were just like oh, yeah. yeah they were just like all the cinemas shut down then they opened and we were just like do we have the Quick. nerves to release a film now because it can shut down you know yeah from one day to the other but then we did it and it had five yeah. five weeks in the cinemas with no competition because there's no you know international wow. films so so uh, right oh. wow wow yeah i mean i watched that film thinking i i had the perception of what i thought the film would be and it definitely mm. surprised me which i love so much about documentaries and i think because then you feel like you're on the journey with the documentary makers you wow. know because i think you go in thinking Lucas Graham is one thing and what a complicated, a beautifully complicated artist he, he mm -hmm. is. Uh, was it hard to get permission to, to follow him that closely? Well, um, René, Sasha Johansson, the director, he had, he had shot some of his music videos and he was sort of part of the team. Mm. And I think that, um, so he had, he had a, he had a special ex, uh, access um, right but of course you know we were quite anxious when we invited Lucas to see the film because you know having a camera by your side for seven years there's a lot of footage but what is the film it's like 90 minutes no this is actually 80 minutes and it's like what he 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 knew that it was a it was our story and, uh, yeah. and he watched it and he said, there's some part of the film where I feel that I'm a big asshole, but I accept that. Uh, and we had a discussion yeah. saying like, yeah, but you know, all human beings having a camera, follow them for seven years, it will not be, I mean, there will be moments that are not very glamorous. Oh and no. Uh, yeah. So he was very Follow brave. Me for seven hours, and, uh, it's not going to be yeah, pretty. No, exactly. So I think he, he was he was very <laughs> brave, and uh, and he was like, yes. I, there's a lot of stuff I could comment on. There's a lot of stuff that if you know I could ask to be changed, but I won't. So that was right. That was very brave of him. Brave. Now I I I can't stop this discussion without speaking to you about the work. Uh, you're doing in Egypt with the the filmmakers right. uh, in Cairo, yeah. Because that started four four years ago. Can you tell yeah. me about what that inspiration was? You're you're running workshops in Cairo for young women filmmakers, which is not something that, you know, a producer you would think, oh, I'm producing films, I'm doing this that the the wildness yeah. of my documentary yeah. filmmaker. And then four years ago, you do this detour, and um, and start doing this workshop. Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, I was invited by Amal Ramses, which is like this amazing woman, and she's been running um, Cairo International Women's Film Festivals since 2008. And then funding in, in Egypt is not easy when doing projects like this. But, oh, yeah. And then she, she has developed this uh, workshop where I was invited as a, a tutor. And I remember the first time I got the invitation, I was just like, like, oh, it's a week of hard work on top of all the other stuff I'm doing. And, and then I remember my colleague, Julie, she looked at me and she said, 
I will lose all respect for you if you don't do that. Everything you talk about, like equality and blah, blah, blah. If you don't do that, I'll never talk to you again. I was just like, all right, yeah, of course, oh, go. <laughs> and I was so happy I did. And, and, uh, and, um, and it's like, it's, it's intense, of course. And uh, I just did it last week, now on Zoom. Uh, yes. But uh, I'll go back as soon as I can. I think maybe I can travel in June. I'm not sure, but but um, wow. having insight into like these super talented Egyptian women and their special signature on storytelling. Uh, mm -hmm. It's coming from Europe. We do something. Uh, we have our method and the way of storytelling, you could say that there is this um, more classical way of storytelling, which is in a way sometimes easier to grasp. But I have now during these four years uh, learned a lot about storytelling in different ways. And, uh, and it's very inspiring and I learned so much and I bring so much back to, uh, to my office. Yeah. Um, so, I, um, I know I, we were talking about um, having young mentors in your life. And I feel like we, we need like the generations. We need the people that are older and more experienced than us and then less right. experienced so that yeah. we keep a foot growing in both ways. Like right. I so need to hear what the generation behind me is doing so right. that I, I yeah. keep, keep in touch right i'm sure you feel exactly. the same way yeah exactly and oh. uh, and of course it's what? it's also tough because you get your your own method is questioned your your yes perspective on yeah. life is questioned and uh, and i remember one of the first time i <laughs> i i was a tutor i came with this you know danish way of like dialogue and 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 right. one of the participants said to me like you have to uh, you know they don't respect you you have to do this in a different way and I was just like really okay uh, right and uh, <laughs> I had a point you know <laughs> yes so you had to change your tactics yeah I had to change my tactics yeah. uh, I have to say the one I love the Dane the Danes very much I love everybody that I've met from Amsterdam and uh and uh, Denmark that we've worked with. And one of my favorite things about them is they're the most blunt people in that I've ever crossed paths with. <laughs> so when they like something, they say, we liked it. We liked it very yeah. much. And when they didn't say, right. we said, we went to do a festival. And they said, we liked your last show much better than this one. And right. I said, thank you yeah. very much. <laughs> they're yeah. very like forthright, yeah. Yeah. which I appreciate. Yeah. Uh, being like Scandinavian and North European, um, when you meet people from North America, you're so good at, at having, you're, you're like, like, this is amazing. You have this like bubbling yeah. energy and and coming from where I come from, it's like, oh yeah, it's, yeah, it's going well, thank you. <laughs> we have a totally different <laughs> vibe that uh, <laughs> yeah. we can learn from you. Um, yeah. It's well, vice versa. I think, you know, I, I appreciate the, the forthrightness of your, of the dialogue from everybody in your in your in your world. So, um, well, I have to ask you. You know, it's interesting because I do cross paths with a lot of folks that 
um, either are thinking about being a producer or are looking for a producer. Mm. And it's not something that is black and white. It's not as like, you don't go to school like you do for filmmaking, where you learn how to be a filmmaker, you get yourself a camera and you start making films. Do you have any like words of advice for people that are thinking about pursuing producing as a career? Right. I think, I mean, it's not rocket science. It's not difficult. It's just, it's a process. So like team up with someone that can inspire you um, so you can get insight into and then in, inside into the process and, and then you learn by doing. I mean, produce a film. It's, I think that's the best film school. Yeah. You, because it's so, you know, being I, a producer, so it's, it's so, I some a couple of months ago, I, I had this uh, masterclass at the Danish film school for the fiction producers. And we looked into what is a documentary film producer. And that, and it's just like, the description is so long. So it's just like, right. it takes your breath away. And it's just like, oh, it's, it looks too complicated. And so, I mean, it's just a matter of like doing it, learning along the way, and then have people you can ask, you know, because you, you have no way of knowing all the answers. It's, it's yeah. not possible at all. So like be part of a community where people are willing to share. Yeah. I've learned from yeah. that. I've had my people I could call. Mm -hmm. And they call I love that. I love them. it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so, and also something you said earlier, which is, you know, listen to your instincts. Cause I feel like looking at your career, you, your instincts have really served you and you have this really exciting and diverse portfolio of, um, of stories that are changing Thank the you. world. It's, it's, uh, yeah. I'm so thrilled to speak with you, Sarah. What an, you too. I, I wish I could drop in and have a glass of wine with you now. Yes. Yes. I'm so, yeah. I'm so sad. I'm not in One Toronto. Day. I love hot dogs and I love Tiff. And I'm like, when can we travel again? Yeah, yeah, it'll happen. It'll, it'll happen. happen. I, I can't wait for the day when I cross paths with people like you yeah. and all the other different yeah. people that, that I've interviewed. The hawks will be so long. <laughs> You'll be like, we'll, we'll oh, be hugging so for, long. Yeah, so long. So <laughs> awkward. So awkward. Yeah, parties <laughs> will go on so much longer because of the long hugs yeah, at the end. Exactly, just exactly. So, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna wrap it up. I, I usually leave a space for people to ask me a question to yeah. turn the tables yeah. on me because I've yes. asked you all the questions. Do you have any yeah. questions for me? Yeah, because I, I am actually very curious about the improvisation because I'm sure that you that there is some in that method from being like an actor that you use in your daily life also as like running this podcast. And because I'm, I'm this kind of person that I often over-prepare. I'm, I'm like this, I'm a control freak. So, and, mm -hmm. and improvisation is the opposite. So do you have, I mean, just a small advice for me. So, uh, <laughs> so I can connect to that old so well, part of me that actually could improvise earlier when I was younger. Yeah. Do you know what, Sarah? Like speaking with you, I feel like you have improvising skills at your fingertips because of the work that you do. Because you are you are prepared to be unprepared. 
mm. which is something we say in mm. improv a lot. So you okay. might prepare it like even today, you know, I have a bunch of ideas that I want to talk to you about. I maybe got right. to five out of the 10 things that I wanted to discuss because of where our paths go. So right. I think, um, I think embracing the I chaos, think you're doing great. I think that you okay. probably, yes, bless the mess. You've said it yourself. It's all the right. things okay. that, um, you know, saying yes to things that come your way, which I think is maybe the challenge for a producer because you're so, so trained to think six steps ahead, right? So when somebody says, can we do this? Right. You can already see the problems that are coming up because that's your job. Right. However, if you said yes, what could that, what magical door could it open up? Right. And I'm not saying that's something I'm good at all the time, but I try to say instead of yes, but it's a yes and. Right. So yes, why and. don't we try something? I What's will, the worst that could happen? I will actually write that on my, I'll say yes oh, and boy. on my post-it and it will another just be another post-it. Yes, yep. comma, and. And if it feels wrong, it's wrong. You've got all it the skills right wrong. on your post-it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Okay. I'm going to wrap it up with a couple of, of questions that we do for wrap up fire questions. Um, right. I just have so enjoyed speaking with you. Here we go. Uh, fill in the blank. To me, a firecracker is. I think it's a, it's an inspirational person that make me take new decisions that I wouldn't take otherwise. Does that make sense? I love it. It sure does. What do you want to be best known for? Um, being a kind, loving person. I know it sounds a bit dull, but yeah. that was what came into my mind. Nope. <laughs> I will take dull and kind any day, any day. What is something that people don't know about you? <sighs> Jesus. I'm the worst person, like, baking cakes. I, I can... <laughs> handle a lot of stress but being in the kitchen yeah. baking a cake it makes me so stressed i mean my daughter <laughs> she knows it she's like i love it my my daughter respects that now she never asks me anymore to bake a cake because it's like oh my gosh it breaks me down that's fantastic what is um what's something that you haven't done but you know you have to do i want to be fluent in french and I'm trying to learn it. I'm on Duolingo, I'm practicing. And I want to be able to go to Paris and be fluent in, in oh. French. Magnifique. 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 Um, who is a firecracker in your world that we can give a little light to? It has to be Amal Ramses that I mentioned earlier, that's running the Cairo International Film Festival. And- uh, yeah. And the workshop she is a firecracker and uh, she's also a very dear friend and a big inspiration in my life amazing amazing what advice would you have given to a younger sarah to a 10 year old sarah trust your in instinct and uh, lean in and uh, make your mark yeah oh Sarah, I have so enjoyed <laughs> speaking with you you have Likewise. opened my brain up to documentaries and i i feel like I feel really grateful that there's an artist in the world like you that is not only in charge of producing and handling, producing things like money, but also does it with such heart and care. And I feel really lucky to have you in our community. It's, it's really a pleasure speaking with you.
Thank you so much. No, it's my pleasure, really. It's so great talking to you. I and hope, I will just listen to all the other episodes that. that I hadn't listened to yet. I only catched four, four yeah. or five. So I will just, I'm a big fan. So um, thank you. Hmm. I hope we can keep in touch. And if yeah, we're in too. the same city at the same time, yeah. I hope we can yeah. meet in person. Yeah. And yeah. We'll um, if there's ever wine. anything that's happening, oh my God, my treat, I'll pay for the wine. <laughs> um, and if there's ever anything happening in your creative world that we can support, we, we're your people, we're in your corner. So, so shout Thank us you. out. Thank you so much. Oh, all right. Bye. Bye now. Bye. Bye. She's the coolest, right? What did I tell you? Did you get sparked? I know you did. Let me know. Let me know how you got sparked. Because everybody gets like a little bit jazzed from these chats, but then I want to know what kind of action you took because of it. So share that with us at Firecracker D-E-P-T. Hey, you can also follow Sarah on Instagram at Sontag Pictures. That's Sontag with two N's, S-O-N-N-T-A-G Pictures. And find out more about her dozens of documentaries on her website, SontagPictures.com. And this week, during the 2021 Hot Docs Festival, her newest film, Seven Years of Lucas Graham, is having its international premiere. Oh my gosh, so much going on. From April 29th to May 9th, the documentary Seven Years of Lucas Graham is available Canada-wide. Yes, Hot Docs is also such a fun festival in Toronto. And while it's virtual this year, at least it's still on, huh? And now the whole country can get into it. So no lineups silver lining. It's also just such a great place to learn about new and upcoming documentaries to look out for, no matter what country you're in. And I'm so, like, I'm such a fan of documentaries, and the Hot Docs series really helps, like, find new ones. There are so many available through this festival, and FYI, it's free to students and those 60+. plus. So that's thanks to CBC Gem. Check out all the things going on at the festival's programming at hotdocs.ca. Huge, 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 huge thanks to Sarah for sitting down with me and sharing her wisdom, her stories, her thoughts. Uh, with literally dozens of docs under her belt, she has such a wealth of knowledge and experience to share. And I'm so, so happy we got to have this chat. Thanks, Sarah. Okay, go on out there. Let me know how things have sparked you into action and have a great, great week. See you next time. Winnie Wong is our Firecracker head producer. Follow her at wonder underscore Wong on Instagram and wonder underscore Wong 8 on Twitter. Sydney Nielsen is our co-producer and head editor. You can follow them at Sydney underscore Nielsen. Sydney, like Australia. Nielsen, like milk. You can follow me on social media at my last name at Sneekus, S-N-I-E-C-K-U-S. The rest of the team comes at you from Toronto, Los Angeles, Austin, London, Dubai, and truly from all over the world. Get into the full Firecracker Department core team at firecrackerdepartment.com slash about because we're always updating and we're always growing. Stay tuned to our newsletter for advanced updates on our monthly meditations, upcoming mentorship workshops, live script department readings, festival partnerships, weekly writing workouts, and dates for 2021, and so much more. There's lots going on in Firecracker Department. Now, whether you're a first time or a long time listener to the Firecracker Department, we always, always want to hear from you. We love hearing what quotes, the specifics, the nuances of things that stuck with you. We mean it, we really do. And we respond to every single thing that comes our way. If it gives your brain goosebumps or it piques your curiosity or makes you want to stop and write something down, send it back to us or our firecracker guest or both. I mean, everybody likes to know 
that when they put something out into the world that it resonates. And if it sparks something in you, use that creativity to take some creative action. Share it because it just reverberates, you know? If you see somebody being creative, that might spark somebody else's creativity. So pay it forward. Thanks also to Jeff Malutinovic and Igor Korea for our theme music. And thanks to you, yeah, you, sitting there, driving there, walking there, working out there, and taking time to listen. We know there's a lot of options out there and we really appreciate you choosing us. We hope to see you at maybe brunch, maybe the writing workshop. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time. <laughs>